If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not go to a pub at all. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to buy me a Murray, well, I'd say Peroni as well. Hello and welcome to the latest Four Blades in the Pub. Uh, I'm Ian. And uh, with me tonight, I've got the usual gang of uh, John. Good evening. Dan. Evening, everybody. Phil. Evening, all. And for tonight, we've got a really very special guest that's got, I think, all four of us very excited about having him on here. Um, I look back extremely fondly on his time with United, chanting his name from the cop um, as a, dare I say, as a, as a teenage lad, you know, real hero, legend of the lane. Can we like, like to welcome to today's pod, Mr. Bob Hooker. Good evening, Bob. Evening, guys. How are you all doing? I'm just having some well. New, York, New Yorkshire tea. Yorkshire, Yorkshire tea out of your Sheffield United mug. Out of a Blades mug, can we? Yeah. Good to see you, Bob. Um, yeah, so we just thought we'd kick off first by just having a bit of a bit of a chat about your career and really, I think, looking back at, um, when I read up about it, it was it, you were obviously a, a decent footballer as a kid, but you were just playing non-league football for a while, leaving school and, and found other work outside of football. Is that right? Yes, I was just playing what you call basic Saturday morning football, really. Uh, in my younger years, I just played Sunday morning football. And then as I got a little bit older, as I got to 16, 17, I joined, I joined the men's team called Bedman Social, which happened to be the same team as Vinnie Jones was brought up in. But he was slightly younger than myself, but we came right. more or less from the same area. So, uh, yeah, I was just playing for them on a Saturday, playing up front. Uh, by then I was sort of touching six foot at 16, 17 so I was, I was quite tall I was you know I was quite quite pacing in them times obviously not carrying so much weight and I just I was I was enjoying it just Saturday morning football and scoring quite a few goals but it's they say it's all about a little bit of luck in football and being in the right place at the right time uh, and I was lucky enough that my manager at the time uh, Dave Bromley God bless him he happened to know one of the directors at Brentford Football Club so uh, just out of question, he asked if I could come up and have a trial because he knew one of the directors at the football club, which was handy. So I just, you know, I took time off work. I was working in a furniture factory, uh, learning my apprenticeship as an upholsterer. And I got invited up to this trial. So I, I checked with my foreman to make sure I could get the time off work for that day. And uh, I went up with Dave Bromley and, and turned up for the game with my boots in my hand and walked into the dressing room of, obviously, professional footballers, albeit the reserve team, which was quite a daunting place to be, I have to say. Uh, and funny enough, it was it was against Brighton. And the great Peter Ward was playing in that game because he was coming back from injury. Little did I know further down the line that I went up, would end up at Brighton as an assistant manager. Uh, so I played in that game. Again, thought I'd done OK, scored two goals. <laughs> Sparked me up. Uh, <laughs> So I thought that went quite well after that. And then I, I had a meeting with the manager and he said he liked what he saw and would I like to come up and do some future training. So I asked for a bit more time off because I was just finishing my apprenticeship and I got managed to get two weeks off. I went up there and had full two-week training with the pros, which was really real eye-opening because I didn't ever to expect to see myself in that position. Uh, and after two weeks, he called me in the office and said, would I like to pack my job up and become a professional footballer? Uh, so I said, where's the pen? Uh, and he said, yeah, well, there it is. There's your contract. So I opened the contract up and it was for, for 60 quid a week. Well, I used to give my mum 30 
Uh, I didn't have a car. I had no transport to get to London. So I signed the contract and come home and told my mum and dad I'd signed pro. Went and told my foreman that I was leaving my job. And they was full of praise for me. Said, you've got to give it a go. Uh, and as they say, the rest is history. Yeah. Am I right in thinking, Bob? I think I've, I've read your book, albeit a while ago. That you actually took a pay cut to do that as well. You were earning more money as an upholster, were you? Well, in, 19, in 1978-79, when I joined Brentford, I was, I was a, what they called piecework. So you cover a bit of furniture and the bloke come around on the timer and you took your time to do it and got good money for it. Well, really, rather than taking three quarters an hour, it probably took me five minutes. So I was on about £250 a week in 1978, which was wow. good money then. Yeah. So by, yeah. Wednesday, you, by Wednesday, you would earn, earn your money and then you was topping it up week by week. So, uh, yeah, I did take a bit of a pay cut <laughs> down to 60 quid. And like I say, <laughs> my mum wanted 30, so she cried her eyes out because she was going to get knocked again. So, uh, yeah, so that's that's what I did, which was, I suppose, a bit of a gamble. But it's not the sort of thing you're going to walk away from that from that dressing room or that, that manager's office. And it was a great Bill, jo- Bill Dodging that signed me. God bless him. Uh, you know, so it wasn't it wasn't wasn't up for question really I was always going to sign it even if it was for a tenner a week <laughs> Were you comfortable straight away did you kind of did you, did you fancy yourself in that kind of professional environment almost straight away could, you know, did you Not realize at all you could? No I didn't know what I was getting myself into because I'd only been playing park football so uh, you know I, I, within, within that first week <laughs> which is strange enough I'd signed the contract and I think it was ten days later that I got told to turn up at Watford Football Ground, which was my home club, uh, because he wanted the manager wanted me to come and be with the squad. I mean, I had no idea what was going to happen, so I turned up at Watford Football Club. I didn't. I had to go down to town in the morning with my mum because I didn't own a suit, I didn't own a tie, I didn't own a pair of shoes. I was a, a, drink, a jeans and trainers man. So we went down to Watford Saturday morning and got my attire. Then I turned up at Watford Football Club, which was my home club, where my mates and I used to stand on the terraces there with my dad. And I knocked on the player's entrance door and the security guard answered it, answered it and said, can I help you? I said, yeah, I'm here for the game versus Brentford. He said, well, you're a little bit early. Brentford aren't here at the moment. Who are you? And I said, well, my name's Bob Booker. I'm one of the pros. He went, yeah, all right. Have you got any ID? No. <laughs> so I said, well, I haven't. He said, well, you better just wait inside the door. So I waited inside the reception there until the coach turned up. And then uh, the rest of the team got off the bus and I walked in with the, with the team. And then we went out into the pitch and I looked, this was my home club when they was going very well against uh, with Graham Taylor, with Luther with Blissett and Jenkins, they were flying. And uh, then we, we went into the dressing room and I was just sitting there thinking, oh, this is a nice experience. And he named the team and I was playing. So it was a complete culture shock. So from sort of just sort of doing a bit of training for a month, the next thing I know, I was playing in front of 15,000 people with my mates and my dad on the terraces. You, you were playing up front then, straight in, straight I, in up I played front. Up, yeah, I played up front with a little fella called Stevie Phillips. Uh, I hit the post in the first 10 minutes and we got beat 2-0. And it was uh, Ross Jenkins and Luther Blissett who scored the goals. Uh, and the player that marked me on that day, you might remember him, some of you guys, was a centre-half called Ian Bolton, who Graham yeah. Taylor, yeah. He, was a, he was the penalty merchant and he scored the long goal at Rotherham and he was, he was what... Food stalwart. He was a, a, a right hard centre half. Kick three bags of shit. Uh, and he, he ended up when he when he, he finally left Watford and come to Brentford. And I introduced him, or I'd done the worst thing ever. I introduced him to my sister, and they ended up getting married. 
And now, so he's ended up my brother-in-law, and he was the man that marked me on my first game. Really? Brilliant. And he still, never he still goes to his, that as well. He still goes, to his, he still goes to his pocket now and again, and reckons I'm still in there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so a bit of a bit of an all-round story there, you know, ending up playing against Watford and then him becoming my brother-in-law. So was that second or third division at that time then? I think that was the old, they'd just come up from the fourth to the third, so the old, yeah, so... And they went up to the old first division consecutive seasons. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was flying machine, but you know, it, it was a bit of a daunting daunting day. You know, sort of from playing in front of two men and a dog, and all of a sudden you're playing in front of fifteen thousand people in your home club. It was sort of the icing on the cake, really. So how, how did? You, sorry, sorry, John. No, I was going to say. So once you once you obviously got over that sort of initial, she talked about the nerves in the going in to play for the reserves and then obviously playing at Watford, your hometown club. When, yeah. you, when did you start feeling really comfortable and like, this is what I do now? You know what I mean? Well, what, it was very, very similar. Yeah, it was very similar to my Sheffield United uh, beginning because, you know, I played one game against Watford. I played one reserve game, one game against Watford. Then I was sort of back out of the team because I was only in the team because they were short in numbers. And then I started to play as a sub and coming on, and I really struggled. You know, I'd come from non-league. I was getting massive abuse from the fans, and rightly so. I wasn't producing. I was very, very, very inexperienced at that level, having come from non-league or just sappy football. So it was a big, it was a big change for me, and uh, I had a real bad time for the first sort of year, year and a half in Brentford, uh, in and out of the team, not playing well, getting slaughtered by the crowd. Then I kept going, and it's very difficult when you've got your family and your dad sitting in the crowd and people are slaughtering you, and you know he's sitting next to fans that are really abusing you, which they're going to do because that's what supporters do. You know they pay the money, can they can have their shout as we know. But I, I came through that. I kept going, and then my next game, my next final or my first full league debut at home, full league debut, I started and I, I scored a hat trick in 27 minutes. So that sort of put me on the map. Then that was against Hull City. Right. So once I got that, that hat-trick, you know, everything changed. The fans changed towards me. You know, I still believed in my ability. The manager kept playing me. And then I just went on to be a regular in the first team and probably play about 300 games in every position, really. So I was classed as Mr. Versatile because if someone got injured, I'd go right back. And then if someone got injured, I'd go left back. Then I'd play up front. Then I'd play centre mid. Then I'd play centre half. So I think that stood me in good stead for when I, when I took up my coaching career that I'd been in different positions and know what was required for different players. If you're a fullback, can I go to the wide man? Can I get it forward? Et cetera, et cetera. So I had a good vast of experience playing in different positions. So, yeah, so I, I battled on and then stayed in them lower leagues until, I'm, until I made the move to Sheffield United, which was completely out of the blue again. Did you appreciate being a utility player at that time, as it were? Because that, that was actually that question. Because when you came to United, Dave used you in two or three different positions, didn't he? Yeah. Over the time well, you were there. Yeah, I predominantly started as a centre-forward. And then at Brentford, I mean, one season, I can't remember what one it was, I played in every position except goalkeeper. So I wore every shirt except goalkeeper, which I didn't fancy. And that year, I got player of the year because I played in all them positions. So sometimes it was good because you'd have a run of the games, but then the regular right-back was free and then no one was injured. So I might go back down to the bench and then the centre-forward was injured. So then I would come on at centre-forward. So, you know... Players had their recognised position, so I was, I was a bit of a utility man, but it suited my needs, and I loved it. As long as I was playing, I was happy. It didn't matter what position it was. I didn't really care as long as I was in the team. Just, just back to your right at the beginning at Brentford, there was 
Um, I was going to say some famous faces, but he wasn't famous at that point, was he? That that uh, that was in that dressing room when you first got there. Bradley Walsh. <laughs> yeah. I've just been tell, us, tell us about him. I've just been speaking to him today. He's, he's been on the set of the chase today, so he, he's rung me up today. And we've had a bit of a conversation leading up to Christmas. So, uh, well, me and Bradley again. Bradley lived in the same area as me, uh, just around the corner, and he was an apprentice uh, engineer at Rolls Royce for helicopters. And uh, my next door neighbour was his foreman. Uh, and Bradley used to get up on the bench at work at Rolls Royce and do impressions because his main his main talent is impressions. You don't see it much these days, but he's absolutely brilliant at impressions. And uh, you know, I used to go out with him. We used to go to pubs and clubs, and I, you know, I used to do his gigs. And you know, I'd drive him around, and he would do his gigs and come home. He had his little suitcase with all his props in and things like that. And then we we've been on holiday together, so we've always been friends, Bradley. And then he was a decent footballer, so I said to the manager, "I've got." this young lad uh, he's just finished in the apprenticeship like I was would you have a look at him so they had a look at him and he played in reserves mostly but Bill Dodgin signed him they signed him because uh, he was just great entertainment on the coach for the away trips and things like that <laughs> so uh, you know I kept saying to Bradley Walsh you know you've, you've got a decision to make here you know I, I don't really think football's for you although you'd love to because he loved his football albeit an Arsenal fan but uh you know the uh, the business is in now. That was the way we told him to go. You've got to go into you've got to go into show business because you're made for it, mate. You're just a natural. You know, as soon as he opens his mouth, you laugh. And so off he went, and he did all the clubs. He did it the hard way. The clubs, you know, two men and a dog, like he would have done on the football pitch, building himself up, and then getting his break uh, on certain shows. And you know, like I say, the rest of his history he is where he is today, and he hasn't changed one little bit. He's still Bradley Walsh but a very talented boy and I'm so pleased for what, what he's done in his career. Coming, coming playing at Brentford that time, um, before we start recording, you, you mentioned some of the players who were in that Brentford team and it, it, the play, it was just, it, in a way, it generated some really good, you know, players who went on to have good careers at, at the top level as well, yeah. including yourself. Well, they did, yeah. I mean, we, we got to the Freight Rover final at Wembley in 1986 uh, you know, we had hell of a squad then. We had the likes of Chris Kamara. Uh, I was playing up front with Robbie Cook. We had Francis Joseph, who come to Sheffield United. We had Gary Roberts. We had Terry Herlock. Uh, it was an absolute hell of a player. Terry Herlock was my my room partner, and Terry Herlock was a jippo, basically. But he was a nice jippo. And um, the day we signed him, he'd, he'd come out of prison. And we got told that he was joining us away at Walsall. And when we got to Walsall, he was sitting in the dressing room with his big mop of hair, two big earrings, he had flip-flops on and a pair of jeans and his boots in his hand. And that was Terry Erlock. And as you say, he went on to play for Glasgow Rangers uh, and England. And that's what I call, he was the all-round footballer. He was nasty. He could get round the pitch. He could score. You wouldn't want to mess with him. And I think he was so underrated. And, uh, you know, he liked to social Terry, as we all did in them days. But, uh, you know, he ended up running a, a sweet shop on the corner of a, of, a, of a road with his wife and everything. So... He was just a great lad. And when you see players like that, I mean, Chris Kamara's gone on and done particularly well in television, but when you see players of that calibre, where they are today, you know, we've all had to go out and get other jobs. It's not like it is today. If you do it right for five years and you're earning the money you earn, you're made for life. You know, after football then, we had to go and get another career. And the great Stan Bowles, as some of your, some of your listeners might remember, you know, to play with Stan Bowles, who was an absolute legend in my eyes at QPR when he played with Rodney Marsh and, and people like that and Tony Curry. Stan Bowles was just a, a legend of a player. So he used to play wide on the right and I played right back. And all he used to say is, get the ball, Bob, and give it to me. 
and that was my job done. <laughs> so, uh, you know, yeah, there's, there's, there's some good players come through that team at Brentford. Uh, as you say, Francis Joseph came to Sheffield United. Uh, as you remember, Waddy Downs, he'd done, he had a turn at Brentford as well and Wimbledon. So Vinny come through from Wimbledon days. So we, all, we was all in that circuit at that time. But uh, for yeah. me, Terry Erlock was, was, was one of the best that I've probably seen at Brentford. Erlock and Cammy right. at Middle Park, there's some legs in there, aren't they? They're going to run all day, that's then, right. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, Chris Kamal could run for England, couldn't he? And Terry Erlock could get around, so they could both tackle. I mean, Chris had a bit of a streak in him. You know, he's, he's done the circuit, didn't he? And, and went to the, the dreaded leads and things like that. We won't talk about them. Uh, so yes yeah Cammy and, and Terry Erlock head of midfield I was up front uh, and we, we unfortunately we lost that game at Wembley uh, 3-1 to Wigan uh, and we didn't really prepare for it right in them days we went to Corfu which was the worst thing we could have done because we all went on a piss <laughs> <laughs> where we should have been trying what was the idea in going to Corfu <laughs> just to get a bit of sunshine because it was freezing in England <laughs> But uh, we all come back with a bit of tan and we had the short hair and long at the back. We all looked the bollocks, but we actually played shite. <laughs> so uh, we got what we deserved, unfortunately. So, you know, in them days, it was, things were slightly different. You can't go around doing that these days. You, you know, preparation is, you know, they're athletes these days. We were athletes, but we used to play hard and we used to work hard and, and party hard as well. Uh, but as you well know, the game's changed. Yeah, so it was, it, was, it was good to get to Wembley and play there. But we should have just done. We should have done better, really. But uh, yeah, so spending most of my time at Brentford in the lower leagues, really. So before before you came uh, up to United, what? How would you describe the football you were playing in that Brentford side? Because when we spoke to Jamie Oyland, he was saying that he was used to playing football in a certain way before we met before he met Harry, if you will. So Absolutely. Like, what yeah. we we brought up with like a quite defined style down at Brentford because certainly in. In recent times, I'd associate Brentford as being, you know, a very, very good football inside, and I, mm-hmm. yeah. that's always been the culture, if you will, like down there. So I don't know if you. Yeah. Well, that's a very good question. I mean, I played probably under about six or seven managers in my time there. The likes of Frank McClintock, as I say, I started with Bill Dodgin, and you're right. You know, he loved to play passing football. So did uh, Fred Callahan and Frank McClintock. Uh, then we had. At the time before I went to Sheffield United, Steve Perriman had come to the club. And at that time, I'd already had a bad injury in 1986. And I was out for sort of 18 months with a, with a cruciate, snap cruciate ligament. So by the time Steve Perriman came in, I wasn't in the team. I was still in the treatment room. And my contract has just about run out. So I thought, well, this is the end because they're not going to give me another contract. I'm injured. I'm no, no good to him. I've got a cruciate, cruciate ligament. But Steve Perriman being Steve Perriman, what a gentleman he was. He said, we're going to give you another year and we're going to see if, you know, get fit. You've been at this club sort of eight or nine years. You've been a good stalwart. So we're going to honour that and give you another give you another contract. So that was a bit of a lifeline for me to uh, to try and get fit again, which I did. But I wasn't really fit. My knee was playing up. And then the game finally come up against Sheffield United when the, the blades were flying in Harry's second season, I think it was. And he came down to Griffin Park and he brought hell of a following. All the far side were just... Massed with blades, you probably 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 brought about four thousand blades down, if I remember rightly. And I was I was uh, I was I played in that game. Well, I started in that game. And Steve Perman, as you say, was a tippy tappy. Come from Tottenham, we was you know going to get it short off the back four and turning all that sort of thing. Uh, and the blades just steamrolled us. I think we got beat four one. You know, you had the likes of Simon Webster midfield and Toddy, and God bless Simon, he's the one I replaced. Chrissy Wilder's right back. You had Dean and the guy on up front, Bryson, 
I think it was Alan Roberts on the wing. So you were flying, you know, the, the team was flying and uh, we got we got smashed. And of course, I travelled home that night with Derek French because he used to be in, live in Bedmond with me and Vinny and Dave Bassett. Because right. Dave Bassett tried to sign me when, when he was at Wimbledon. So I travelled home with Frenchie and said, because I got taken off in that game, I was way off it. And I said to Frenchie, cool, you've got a hell of a team there. You know, Harry's really got them going well. You're getting it forward. You're getting crosses in. You've got Dean and the Garner. You're flying. Like, he said, yeah, we're going places, Bob. We're going places. Uh, two weeks later, Frenchie rang me up on the Sunday and said, Harry wants to know if you want to come up and, and have a chat with him. Well, I was just about to thinking about hanging my boots up because my knee was fucked. I've got to be honest. I, I couldn't do anything. I could hardly run. It was so painful. So I said, well, I've got a bit of an injury, Frenchie. He said, well, I'll sort that out. Come up and have a chat. I said, what, on loan? He said, well, just come up and have a chat with Harry. So me and my dad got in my little Fiesta and we filled it up with petrol, just about afforded to fill it up with petrol. We, we, we come up the M1 on a, on a Wednesday, I think it was, uh, parked in outside the ground and walked through the offices and met Mick Rooker. I don't know if you know Mick Rooker. Yeah. Uh, he, he, took me, he took me through to Harry's office and I knocked on the door. I knew Harry from Wimbledon, but I didn't know him. I'd never played for him. And I went in and sat down with my dad and... Uh, he said, right, how do, you feel, how do you feel about coming up here? I said, well, my knee's struggling a bit, Harry. What do you mean, on loan or, you know? He said, no, I want you to sign full-time. And I sort of looked at him and I thought, are you sure? You know, I'm at the end of my career, I'm 31, I'm going nowhere, and you want me to come up here? And he went, yeah. And he said, there's the contract. Well, I started to read the contract and it was trebling my wages. I was going to get a signing-on fee. They were going to pay for my digs. They were going to give me a sponsored car. It was just like another world. And I looked at my dad and I said to Harry, can we, can we just go out and have a chat? <laughs> Get my head around it. And Harry said, there's no more money. That's it. Well, this was like, you know, it was, I, was going, I was going like from £300 to bloody £800 a week. It was ridiculous. So me and my dad went down the, down the tunnel. True story. We come up the steps. We looked to the side and looked at the cop and looked at the stadium. And I, the back of my ears were up on the arm. And we just stared out. And it was like the scene from Fools and Horses. And my dad said, I'm still getting a lump in my throat now. My dad said, do you want to go first or me? I said, well, you go. And we just hugged each other and cried and said, you've done it, son. You've arrived at the big time. Get in there and sign that contract. So we went back to the office and I said, yeah, I'll sign, Harry. He said, OK, get yourself home. Come back up tomorrow night. Playing reserves for half a game just to sort of give you, you know, give you a run out. It was away at Huddersfield, so I played half a game. And then he started me on the Saturday against Bristol City. Um, it just, you know, it was just, it was incredible the way it happened, really. It's, a, it's, it's, like, it's like a fairy tale, isn't it? It was really. I mean, it was like it was, it was like deja vu. What I'd done at Brentford, I was now doing. No disrespect to Brentford, Sheffield United was a massive football club. It still is a massive football club. Going from Brentford in in the third division, and obviously the Blades were down at that time, but they was only going one place the way Harry was playing, and that was forward. So, uh, so that was the culture shock because I, you know I didn't I knew Harry played what we call the long ball game, which is, you know, as we know, it, it's got, it, it had its success. So that was hard to get used to because I was going training. I was going short and trying to get it off Stan or get it off Chrissy Wilder. And they're knocking it straight over me, straight in the corner for Dean and the Garner. And I'm thinking, give me the fucking ball. <laughs> and they go, no, you're not having it. And he's, and Abby said, no, I don't want you going short. I want you getting forward. So if, it, if they don't win it up front and get a knockdown, you're going to win the knockdown. You're going to give it a job. You're going to give it to Dane Whitehouse or Bradshaw. They're going to get a cross in and Dean Garner are going to score. Sounds good to me. <laughs> so, that, and that was it, really. That's, you know, that was, that was the format. So, there was none of this sort of tippy-tappy stuff and, and getting it short and playing through midfield. It was all about getting it forward and 
getting it to the people that could do the business. And we had two people that could do that. You think oh, you, as, as a midfielder, if you've got a really defined role like that, where it's just a case of pick the second ball up and kind of you know, distribute the second ball, that must be that must be great. Once you get into the swing of it, that must be great, really. It took a while to get used to because you know if you're getting if you're getting a, a ball square on from a throw-in on the halfway line, normally you think about bringing it down, turning out, going to the centre half, or going to midfield player. All we was taught to do was just hook it in the corner, yeah, with one touch, and put it in the corner between the 18-yard box and the touchline, then in the garner knew you're going to do that or know you're going to do that. So they're already on their run. They're not coming to short to get it off you because if you're knocking it in the corner, it's no good them coming short if, you wanna, if you're going to be knocking it long. So everybody had, a, everybody, everybody had a system. Everybody had a part to play. And we all did it so well, it was like clockwork. And it was drummed into us in training day in and day out. If you played a square ball, down you go, 50 press-ups. If you pass back to the centre-half, down you go, 50 press-ups. And it was, wasn't was rocket science, but I'll tell you what, it was fucking effective. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, that's you what know? Jamie Oyland said he struggled with, exactly that, what you've just described. Yeah, it was strange for me because, you you know, you're trying, trying to do a little bit on the ball and look a bit of a footballer, but really, you know, and I, I had the legs. Well, when I got fit, when Frenchie got him, if it wasn't for Frenchie, I wouldn't have got fit because he gave me one-to-one physio before a game. I had injections before a game games to play, you know, I, I couldn't train for two days after a game until I really got sort of match fit and got used to going from box to box. So it was down to Frenchie that kept me going, really, you know. Uh, many a time I'd come into Harry and say, Harry, I'm struggling on, I'm struggling on, on Thursday with, with my knee. He said, nah, get a quarter zone, you're playing, son, get on with it. <laughs> so we had to get on with it. We wouldn't be able to do that these days, get a quarter zone and, and, and go and start playing. So Frenchie was absolutely fantastic for me. He was he was my lifeline. So once I got up to the speed of play, which took a while, and as you well know, it's well documented, I struggled again in them early months in, in the Sheffield United team because I wasn't used to the pace of the game. It was completely different to what I've been used to. And it wasn't an excuse. I had to learn it and get on with it and get up and down. So if it was coming to our centre-halves, get the knockdown. If it was going to the front men, so all you did was do power runs from 18-yard box to 18-yard box. And again, we used to do them every Tuesday or Wednesday until we were sick. In, in that time when you were feeling under, you were obviously on, probably feeling under pressure quite a bit because it, you, yeah. were, you were trying to settle in. Who had you palled on with at, at United? Obviously, you knew Frenchie already, but you know, well, I, I knew Wally Downs, who wasn't in the team so much. Hmm. I knew Francis Joseph was around. I, I did know some of the players. I played against Paul Stancliffe quite a bit. Uh, I didn't really know the Northern lads. It was more the Southern lads, and it, you know, the likes of Johnny Gannon. Uh, and Simon Tracy, I'd knew them through the Wimbledon days. But I remember my first ever day when I walked into that dressing room and no one knew that I was coming. And I, I was a relatively unknown to be fair, although I'd played probably 300 plus games for Brentford, you know, nobody really knew me in Sheffield. You know, some of the players might have known me from the games, the amount of games that I'd played in that level. But as I walked in the dressing room, I remember Stankish sort of shouting out, oh, fuck me, we've got an old, right, another old one now joined us. And, and the southern lad said, he might be old, Stan, but he can score fucking more goals than you. <laughs> so uh, that, that was my initiation into the dressing room, really. And the first person, which is really strange, and it's a, it's a weird story, was Chrissy Wilder. He said, we're going, up, we're going up training now. And he was he was getting in his car with Martin Pike and said, do you want to jump in with us? We, you know, we'll take you up to the training ground. So that's when I sort of made my link with, with Chrissy Wilder and became sort of buddies and you know, after being in a hotel for two or three months and living with Jeff Taylor and Derek French up at Upperthorpe, which was a fucking nightmare, I uh, 
I moved in with Chrissy Wilder at Bleedless with him and Tony Garner, which was fantastic. So they was obviously a little bit younger than me. So I was like the elder statesman. So I ended up doing all the, the cleaning and the, the tidying up because they was like a couple of fucking ragabonds, you know, the place was like a shithole. So, but they liked it when I went home for the weekend and come back with loads of cakes from my mum and, and things like that. So great times living with Chrissy and, and Tony Garner. Really good. Can you put can you put your finger on it? Just time to pipe down with a sack. Can you put your finger on it actually changing when Mansfield away? Mansfield away, rainy, poxy night, nearly snowing, freezing wet. I've got my short sleeves on, number four, and everything just fell for me from getting up and down the pitch, winning tackles, and the people that went to that game, and I've, I've I have spoke to many of them over the years. They said that is the game that changed because. I just got every knockdown. I won every tackle. I was jumping better than what I should do for someone at six foot three. I was winning my tackles. I was passing nice and I got the penalty. And that's when it changed from on then. I just, my not my confidence, but I always believed in my confidence. And fair play to Harry. He kept playing me. I said, Harry, I'm struggling. I'm not, I'm not being able to do this. He said, you ain't coming out of the team. You're staying in there. You're going to go through it. A bit like I did at Brentford. And I think as a player, it's like a goal scorer. If you, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, get him out the firing line. No, keep playing him because it will turn and he'll start scoring and they go on a roll again. All I needed was a couple of good games and then I could hear the crowd slowly turning around from booing, sort of, sort of singing my name a little bit. we got Bobby Booker. He's a dirty fucker. He's yeah. six foot four and cross fuck all. Then you are came in and then it just grew from there. And it, you know, how, why it happened, I don't know, but very flattered that it did happen and... You know, it's it will stick with me for the rest of my life. The things that happened to me in that football club. I think I think United fans as a whole, as a as a group through the generations, appreciate players who you can see putting it in. And like you say, you you were committed, and we you know the manager trusted you, yeah. and we trusted Dave Bassett. So you got to, yeah. you know there's something there, and it, we saw yeah. that that effort was then you know to 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 find you get your fitness and get into that straight. I think that counts for a lot. I think you're spot on, you know, and I, I grasped that and I got that straight away from, you know, again, no disrespect to the Southern supporters, but the Northern supporter is, call it what you like, they're not more passionate, but they sound more passionate. You can feel the passion more from the football club and the terraces and the cop. You know, I don't know what it was. It was just, you could feel it. You know, they, they vented out their anger in a nice way if you wasn't trying. You know, the, the Northern man, he goes to work all week. He works his cock off. He goes out Friday night. He has a few John Smiths. He goes down the lane on a Saturday. He stands on the cop. He throws a load of fucks into the, to the supporters, to the players and the opposition. Yeah, he goes out Saturday night, has a beverage, he has a curry and chips. You know, goes down the club Sunday afternoon, down the workman's club, goes back to work Monday. And I got that because I came from a furniture factory and that's what I used to do when I was a, a young person before I signed pro. I was one of the lads and I think I could see that the Sheffield supporters got that and I got it back and I think that's where we got the connection. Fantastic. And then you connection's legendary. I'm just going to say you're kind of held up now when, when a player's kind of struggling when they first come in like someone like when we had Paul Coots a few seasons ago mm. and he struggled for a season or two and gradually won the fans over and became a cult hero. Yeah. It's regarded as, as doing a Bob Booker. It's kind of, you know, anyone that struggles, we, we, mm. we kind of talk about you as, you know, how you managed to turn things around and not only not only turn things around, but turn things around to become a club legend. It's, well, it's, it's very flattering when you call yourself, a, you know, a club legend because I wasn't there particularly long compared with a lot of players, but 
it was like a whirlwind, wasn't it? You know, from sort of scoring in 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 the division before the first division and sort of going into the cop when the Barrys wasn't there and just seeing the people that you excited it I don't know, I just I just and when you you know, when you got people, you know, sort of twenty five, thirty thousand people singing your name all at once, it's just it's just it ain't no better feeling. Uh, but you know, I did come through it, and there's been a lot of players there that haven't come through it. But there's a lot of players that have come through it. Probably not quite to my status, whatever you whatever you call it. But that's because I probably I don't know I, I, I mix with the fans as much as I did on the football pitch. You know, I'd go down a big tree, I'd go down to wood seats, I'd go into pubs and have a beer with them. Just being a normal bloke, really, which the modern day footballer doesn't really do these days because it'll be on social media. But I felt that all quite quite normal, you know, just sort of signing autographs or, you know, when I, when I met the young lad and signed his, signed his autograph and his a ball and he asked if I could come around to dinner. Uh, he was only six year old and he, he, I still didn't keep in contact with him now. He's got kids of his own. He sits on the cop and I went around his house and met his mum and dad and had meat and potato pie with him and there's about 15 kids outside waiting to get me off. <laughs> I just thought, no, no disrespect to other pros. I found that, I found that quite normal. I didn't, I didn't find that hard work. Talking to fans, as you can tell, talking to you guys, you know, I just, <laughs> yeah. I find it quite, I'm quite relaxed about it. And it's just me being me. It's, n- it's not me sort of, you know, bigging up or juicing up at all. It's just, that's just the way I am. So can, can I ask a little bit about the, what it was like? That friendship with Brooks. Would it, would, go on, Ian, sorry, go on. Sorry, I was going to say that friendship with Rooks probably just enabled you to do more of that as well, didn't it? Through his well, he, he was the else. first person that took me through the offices. I didn't know Mick Rooker from from anybody, and it took me about six months to fucking understand what he was saying because uh, <laughs> he used to talk so quick. But uh, yeah, he was the one that sort of took me under his wing, really. You know, he, he used to he showed me where the hotel was. You know, he, he took me around the clubs and he took me around the shops and did signing autographs, and he got me out there really. Uh, and we become still to this day, you know, become, you know, it was, it was always the Booker and the Rooker show. We become really, really good friends and that will last forever. And he's been a great servant to the club as well. So, yeah, Mick Rooker was absolutely fantastic for me. He's, he, he put me out there uh, around the area and, and sort of got me about really. And, you know, was a really, really good friend, especially when you're living away from home as I was and not getting home sometimes for five or six weeks. It can be a lonely place sometimes as a footballer. And that's why I got out the hotel and I went in with Chrissy Wilder. So are you still, you and Chris still in fairly regular touch now then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I text him before every game. I've been up to, a, I've come up to, I haven't been up this season, but I will get up there. But I came up to, obviously with COVID, but I came up to a couple of games last year. Uh, and he always makes me welcome. You know, we have a drink in the office afterwards, in his office. And we go over the railway afterwards with his mates. Brilliant. That's what I love about Chris. You know, we, we, we finish a game. You know, it's not about I'm the manager. Over the railway, in his jeans and trainers, with his best mates having a few beers, playing pool, just normal bloke, you know, fantastic, you know, but uh, I think the players know that he's the gaffer, you know, he, he can be your mate, but he's also the boss, and he, I think he's got that nice balance, he's very much Harry Bassett-like in his man management, you know, he probably took a, he's probably taken quite a bit from Harry uh, over the years, as you do, and, and, and to, his, to his credit, you know, what people probably do or don't know, that He's done it the hard way. You know, he's done the Oxfords, the Northamptons, Halifax, you know, them lower clubs and got them promotion. I don't think, Mike, quote me on this, but I don't think Chrissy Wilder has ever had the sack from a football club. He's always moved yeah. on. 
He has not He was asked it in an interview um, about two weeks ago. Someone said, do you fear for your job? And he said, however many games it is he's managed and he's never been sacked in like nearly a 20-year career. Almost sort of like, why would I fear something I've never experienced? Yeah. And <clears throat> you will get the idiots suggesting it and writing these nothing articles. But any true Blades fan knows he's the only man for the job for us at the moment. And everything. Well, you'd like to think so. You know, you've got to, it's, it's all right taking the adulation and, and going up back-to-back promotions and everybody loves you and everybody wants to buy your drink. But when you're struggling, that's when you find out who your friends are. You know, when, when, when the shit really hits the fan. And I don't know if you saw his interview the other night after the Leicester game, but when he, when he made the comment of, like, he's been sitting there, he's been playing on there, he's stood on the cop, and now he's standing in the dugout, he was close to tears saying that. And that was so passionate. That's all the Blades fans need to listen to, really, because his heart's in it. He ain't going nowhere else, you know. So you either stick with it or, you know, unfortunately, in the modern-day game now, results talk, don't they? But... Uh, it's, it's a tough season so far, but if he's gonna, if anyone's gonna get us out of it, then it will be him and you know the group of players because he'll keep doing his same things. He'll keep working because it doesn't just you don't just change it just because you're not winning games. You keep believing in what you're doing, uh, and he's had a lot of change around of players, and they've got to get used to the way he wants to play and the way he trains and what he's trying to put forward. Plus with the old ones, and hopefully come out the other side of it. And we've just got to stick stick together as fans, as ex players, and stick behind the manager. As far as I can tell. That's music, music to my ears. Sorry, Phil. I said that's music to my ears. Sorry, Dan. What did you ask? Yeah, I was just saying, did, did, did Tufty ever get you turning out for Bradway when he when he when he was managing the, the Sunday side? He, he tried to. We used to, we used to go and watch him on a Sunday morning, uh, and the players would be playing. They'd be looking on the sidelines, thinking that's Bob Booker and Chrissy Wilder. Well, they knew Chrissy Wilder because he was a manager. But that's the beauty of it, you know. After the game, we go up, we go up to Bradway and have a drink, and I sit with the sit with the boys, who watch me behind the dugout on a Saturday, and now I'm watching them on a Sunday morning, uh, and that was very very comfortable, you know. They didn't sort of, you know, oh, it's Bob Booker, Bob Booker. I was just one of the lads, same as Chrissy, and he, you know, he probably still does that on some Sundays now. To be sure, I'm not, you know, he probably still does that. I've got a couple of mates that used to play for play for the Bradway with with him. Right. I know they. Yeah. I know they. Uh, I think he had. I think he had Billy Whitehurst turn out from a couple of times. Did he? Yeah, I think Toddy. I think Toddy played from a couple of times and stuff like that. So, Brilliant. Brilliant. Love yeah, it. I think he roped a few in. Yeah, they were a good bunch of lads. The Bradway. The good bunch of lads. You know, they. Yeah. It was a, a good good crack. It was especially down the pub after chair. So especially when we'd won on a Saturday. Yeah. So. It's a Sainsbury's now, Bob. Did you know that? Sorry. The Bradway. It's a Sainsbury's now. Did you know that? Is it really? That's yeah. scandalous. Now, I wouldn't mind if it was a Tesco's, but Sainsbury's far too expensive. <laughs> <laughs> give, me, give me a Lidl's or a Morrison's anytime. <laughs> what are you drinking there? You're you on the John Smith bill? I'm on, uh, no, I'm on Punk. I'm a little... Oh, yeah? IPA. Oh, nice. Oh. I'm on a nice cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's meant well, to we be four nights in the, in the pub, pub, so we try. Yeah, yeah. good. Having a, having a hazy pale eye on myself. Like that, yeah. Working on the job. Well done, boys. <laughs> so you, you obviously came to United at a good time because we obviously had that, a bit like Chris Wilder achieved, we had the back, back-to-back promotions under Dave Bassett. Yeah. So you came in and as we went out of the, out of the third division. Um, and then you had, I guess, the first pre-season, I guess, under Harry, which uh, yeah. everyone talks yeah. about as an experience. How, how did you, was it an army camp that uh, season or not? 
Yeah, we, yeah, we've done the army camp. We, yeah, we've done the army camp. That was a that was a nightmare. You know, it's you'd be asleep in your barracks, and it was the barracks. It was what they sleep on. Then you know, something like that. A big brother, you're laying on them beds, and he just had all antics sorted out. You know, he had us on going across the salt courses while they were trying to knock us off with firemen's hoses. A tank would turn up in the morning, put a gun turret through the window, and let off a let off a blank, frighten the shit out of you at three <laughs> o'clock in the morning. Then they used to sling you in the back of an army truck, drive you up on Salisbury Plain in the middle of the night, sling you out with no money or no compass or anything, and you got to find your way back to town the next four hours. Absolutely. <laughs> Talk about team bonding. I think he just took it a little bit too far. So, uh, but that was what it was all about, wasn't it? You know, it was all about that team bonding yeah. and having camaraderie and you know that togetherness and you know having a beer together. And Harry was one for having a beer with us as well. He, you know, Harry was one of them. He could he could slaughter you. And he slaughtered me many, many times, but you knew he'd have a beer with you after the game. You know, he 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 had that he had that knack of mixing the two, a bit like Chrissy does with his players, I should imagine. You know how he's the boss and you ain't gonna fuck him about, but you know that he'll still have a beer in the in the social club afterwards after a game. And he, he just had a way his man his man management for me was the best I've ever seen, you know. I wouldn't I wouldn't say I mean he didn't do a lot of coaching, Harry, you know, Jeff Taylor done most of it, but Harry would do the pattern of play and this is what we're doing this is the this is what you're doing on free kicks uh, but you wanted I'd have run for a brick wall for that for that manager uh, and I like to think that I did and we got I've got one example as his man management skills is that when I hadn't been home for about six weeks and I think we got beat don't give, don't remind me of the game we got beat at home one nil when we were meant to be going flying high we was I think we were third in the league on the set on the first the first promotion and we got beat one nil 20-odd thousand, booing, sent us off. Uh, and he came come in after the game. And I was due to go home because I hadn't been home for seven weeks. And I'd asked Harry on the Friday if I could go home. He said, yeah, you can go home after the game. We're off on Sunday. Well, coming in and getting beat 1-0 on a home game, obviously the mood wasn't that best. And he absolutely ripped into us all. And he said, I'll see you all in the morning, 8 o'clock. He didn't run today. So you're going to run for an hour in the morning at 8 o'clock, see you on the track. And that was it. He walked off. So we all had to write, um, I thought I've got to make a phone call to home because I hadn't been home for seven weeks. And I got in the shower. And in that moment, that heated moment, he had remembered that I was meant to be going home. And he'd come in the shower and he put his arm around me and he said, big fella, get yourself off home tonight. You've not been home for seven weeks. And I said, Harry, if the lads are in, I'm going to be in. He said, well, I'm just telling you, you, you can go home if you want. And I said, no, they call me son of Harry already, so I'm not going to let them do that. Though I didn't go home and I did come in with the rest of the lads and we did run our bollocks off for an hour and we went on and got promotion. But that moment that he remembered that will stick with me for the rest of my life. That's what man management's about. Not about coaching. It's about getting the best out of every player. And he certainly got the best out of me at 31 years old. I think there's a big comparison there. We've talked a bit about Tufty already and I don't want it to be about him too much, but there's the massive comparison there. He's a, he's a, he's a man manager and a motivator, isn't he? Neil, Neil's the, the, the brains behind the outfit, if you like, and the coach and the one that figures out all the free kick routines, but clearly Tufty's a, a man manager, isn't he? Oh, he's a man manager, but he's a very good coach as well. You know, I've seen some of his sessions. He, he, you know, he would do a lot of the coaching and Alan's, you know, he's got a great assistant because that's what you want. He's, he stays out that I was assistant manager and if you could just stay out the way and let the manager do his job, but have everything ready for him, you know, when you're travelling, you know, who's injured, who's training, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff. 
all he's got to worry about is picking the team. Uh, and, and, and Chrissy Wilder, like you say, I've seen him round them players after games and he'll have his arm round them. You know, we'll butter them up if they've got beat. He can point the finger when he needs to, but he can praise them when he wants to. And they know that it's not always praise, praise, praise. If they need to be told and point, his fingers need to be pointed. And we used to do that as players as well. And that's what Harry installed into us, you know. Half-time sometimes, it'll all be kicking off, you know. Bradders will be scrapping with someone, you know, all that sort of stuff, you know. Himself? Himself, yeah, looking in the mirror and fighting himself, yeah. yeah that's it. But that's what we used to do, you know. Sometimes he didn't have, he didn't have to do a team talk because we'd be sorting it out ourselves, you know. We'd be, we'd be, you know, next to each other and pointing the finger because that's how you do it. If you ain't doing your job, someone needs to tell you. Uh, and I don't think you get a lot of that in the modern day dressing room these days, especially with all the foreign content. It's probably a lot of them haven't seen anything like that. If they had come into our dressing room, it was ruthless. Trust me. It was a ruthless place to be. You know, things used to fly, whether it was from Harry or players. And, and we got it sorted. We got it sorted. So we was, we was, a, we was, a, we was a bunch of thugs, but we was, a, we was a fantastic bunch of thugs. And we knew what was required to win a football game. Was very much one in all in, wasn't it? As well, that that kind of spirit. You, you'd row amongst yourselves in the dressing room, but on the pitch, if something happened, everyone's in. Oh yeah, definitely. And even even sort of outside of outside of the dressing room, you know, most times, you know, we would have a gathering with all the wives and things like that, and you know, socialise together. I think that's very important. You know, it's not always about going out on the piss, and we did that quite a bit as well. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's about, you know, the, all the wives got on and we all met in the social club after training and they brought the kids along and you just made, you just become a massive big family, you know. It, it was a really nice environment to be in, you know, as I say, and I don't, I don't think you get that these days. Now, the modern-day footballer now, he's shipped in by coaches isn't he, from a hotel, even at home games sometimes. He plays his game. He doesn't have time to see anybody and sign the autographs. He's shipped out afterwards or straight off home and he's in their big cars and off they go and... You know, they're in their own little world. They can't really go out as much as we did because someone's going to see them and take a picture of them. It's just the way the game's gone. And I think it's sad, really. I think it's, you know, I wouldn't want to be a player in the modern day game now for all the money in the world. I've got to be honest. I love the era that we played in and have them memories to remember on what it used to be like. You know, being a professional footballer through the 80s and 90s, I don't think it gets any better than that or even slightly earlier. You get that from the interviews we've done with, like, yourself tonight and the other players of that era we've spoken to, you just get that sense of a, a very special and, and different time. Yeah. I mean, obviously that season, after we stepped up to what was then the second division, we weren't expected to go on and get promotion that year at all. You know, no. it, the objective, if, if you'd have asked, you know, I was on, on the cop at the time as with my dad and we'd have thought, yeah, just just get up there, get, get safe, get mid-table. You was the one. You was the one. Fuck off, Booker, you shit. <laughs> Get yourself back to Brentford, lad. I remember you now. He's in the first three rows. Got you. <laughs> no, but, yeah, but, but the expectations for, for pushing on as we did. So what what was it? Was it was it the momentum? Was it just that togetherness and everything else that carried us through that season? I think it was momentum. I mean, when you when you've got a good momentum as a football club and a group of players, you know, <laughs> habits, isn't it? You know, if you keep winning, that's a great habit. You know, it doesn't matter whether you win 1-0 or you win 4-0. To keep winning, it's the same thing. You start losing games like the lads are at the moment. That will be hurting them. There's a group of players, and I know a lot of them players, they will be hurting, you know. It's not a nice place to be. But if you don't stick together and believe in what you're doing, yes, you might end up going down, but you've got to give it a bloody go. Otherwise, there's no point in being there. And I think, you know, our, our first year, that second promotion, 
uh, after a lot of people still didn't know or how to deal with us. So we was on a roll and it just kept going, didn't it? You know, old Sheffield yeah. United, they'd come up, you know, I'd have played a long ball game, we'd be able to deal with that. And did they bollocks? They didn't know what was coming. It was a steamroller. Yeah. And it was it was a it was a train that was going on fast and nothing was gonna stop us. We was we was on a roll. So it, it was momentum. Yes, we made a few acquisitions, didn't we? Like uh, Paul Wood, uh masterclass by Harry bringing in Billy Whitehurst for the end of the season, who could have been the hero of all heroes if he'd got that header at Blackburn with Leicester. I thought it was in, he took everything with it, the goalkeeper, the ball, the post. I thought that was in. So he made you know, Wilf Washington was a good experienced play, brought in Colin Hill. Mark Morris. Morris, so Kidman, yeah. Yeah, they do, all good established players, good experienced players. So it was another another lot of good of acquisitions by Harry. I think the best thing that Harry ever, Harry ever, ever done was mixing the Southerners with the Northerners. I think it was a masterclass, you know, from having the likes of Gannon, uh, uh, Tracy, Wally and all that sort of stuff. Then you had Chrissy Wilder, Dane Whitehouse, Mitch Ward, Carl Bradshaw, the banter, between the North and the South was absolutely fantastic. You know, that was, that was great. You know, it was ruthless and, you know, there was a lot of, lot of abuse flying about, but you had to take it on the chin. And it, was, it was great banter, especially on a Friday morning when we had a five-a-side and we kicked three bags of shit out of each other. Uh, and if you, if, you, if you got injured, then you didn't play on the Saturday. So that's, how, that's what training was like. You know, it weren't, no, no bars were hold on a Friday morning. You're not tapped and all that. It was, let's have it, let's have it. North against South. Brilliant. Who invariably came out on top? North or south in the five sides? It, it, it varied, really. Yeah, it varied, really. I always really wanted to go with the Northerners because they was a little bit more livelier, but uh, I couldn't really, I couldn't really pass over sides, could I? But we did have, we did have one, we did have one real major uh, incident up at the training ground when it was snowing one year, uh, and we decided because we couldn't do much football, we decided to have a, a snowball fight, and of course, north against the south. But it got a little bit out of hand, and I got dis- I got separated from the Southerners, and I got pinned down by Whitehouse and Ward and Bradshaw and all them, and they stripped me bollock naked in the freezing snow and just left me with my slip on. They took all my boots, and I had, they, everyone left the training ground. I had to make my way back to the training ground from the university in my slip in the freezing snow. Like <laughs> you, absolutely killed me. So yeah, we had many a time with the North. North versus South was was Harry's masterclass in, in my book. Really good, good banter. Bob, you talked about the um, Billy Whitehouse nearly nearly scored the goal that took us up. Obviously, the game that did. Mm. You, you took over the captaincy that day, and um, mm. what, what a day it was! I mean, that game's folklore for Sheffield United fans. But tell us a little bit about that day, and and obviously back what, me next what up, was... back me next up, Phil, back me next up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that. Was... Yeah, that was a great day, yeah. Uh, hell of a following that day, weren't it? I mean, you know, and most of the team was in, as you remember, was in fancy dress. Most of the supporters, rather, was in fancy dress. But I didn't I didn't, I didn't, didn't expect that, and I didn't get the shout from Harry till about, I think it was the Wednesday or the Thursday before the game. Uh, and he pulled me and said, Stan's not going to make it, he's got a hamstring injury, you're going to be skipper. Well, that was just, I said, really, Harry, are you sure? I mean, there's a lot of other players in that team that could have made that, you know, it could have been Dino, it could have been Mark Morris. It could have been Chrissy Wilder being a local lad. It could have been Wolf Rostron. You know, there was there's plenty of experience in there uh, to be captain. Um, but he said, no, you're, you're going to take him down the tunnel. So that was a very, very proud moment for me uh, in that game. And, you know, unfortunately, Stan lost his place that day. But 
he was he was full of praise for me to take that armband and to walk down that tunnel when you could see the Sheffield United fans as she was coming down Filbert Street as she's coming out you could see the banks of supporters to the right double double tiered and all that side all the yellow shirts and I looked around and I saw that group of players behind me and I thought here we go we'll be having this you know we're going to war uh, and that, that crowd that day I was, I was imagine you guys might have been there it was uh, I was Dan was they played their part didn't they you know they got us over the line. Yeah, they got, us, they got us over the line. I mean, it didn't, it didn't quite go to plan after about, I don't know how long it was, 10 minutes when uh, when Leicester scored. That wasn't in the plan at the time. Yeah, Mark but, North uh, scored out of the doors, didn't he? Yeah, Mark North, yeah. But that sort of, we saw, all looked around at each other that time and went, here we go, let's, you know, that weren't, that weren't in the script. We could need to do something about this. And then, bish, bash, bosh, you know, and then four, uh, 4-1 at half time, we're, we're cruising, really. And then, as, you, as you've probably seen on the programme, you know, Ari and... Uh, Jeff Taylor decided to have a row about the zone man, and we were looking at each. We were looking at each other and said, "We don't give a fuck who the zone man is. We're four one up." So who did have him? Uh, <laughs> I don't know who the zone. I still don't. I still don't know to this day who was the zone man was. I think it might be Jock. We've narrowed it down to Jock or Wilf. I think. <laughs> I was meant to be picking up Gary McAllister. I know that. But I couldn't pick him up because he was taking the corners. So I probably I should have been marking somebody. But uh, I'll never forget that game. A couple of instances in that game was every time we scored, there was a pitch invasion. If you remember, yeah. uh, and every time he was trying to get the crowd off the pitch, you know he was uh, uh, he was waving people to get off, and they was in fancy dress. You know, had Donald Duck in front of me and Superman, and <laughs> you know Captain Marvel and. And goofy and people like that. There was all there was all, and then over the far side there was a full life a full life cutout of Bob Booker cardboard cutout life size in the crowd, which was amazing. But I I, I had a tussle against Gay McAllister that day, and uh, and I used to admire Gay McAllister when I was a youngster because he was such a quality player for Liverpool, and he'd done you know he was, he was a great technician, and we had a bit of a tussle, and uh, I was on the floor and I got a free kick, and he was leaning over me. And I remember him looking down at me, and he didn't really know me. And he looked down, and he said, "Who the fuck are you?" And I looked up to him, and as I looked up, all the crowd started going, "Who are Bob Bukar?" And I just pointed to the crowd and said, "I'm Who are Bob Bukar?" And he looked at me and sort of run off like, you know, I've done him like. But that was I just I just I just killed him with one little saying like, you know, "I'm Who are Bob Bukar?" Can't you hear him? You know. And then you got them lot singing that. It was just magic. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah. Yeah, great day. There was great a touch day. of great, arrogance, great it felt. Yeah. You know, to, to do it like we did and the cameras were following us around as well on, that, on the BBC Two programme, that was that was the icing on the cake. So, they, you know, you didn't know the cameras were there as, as the games went on or the season went on, but they must have thought it was Christmas filming that and then getting promotion. It was like, cool. it was almost if it was planned, wasn't it? So it was brilliant. It was oh, good. Bradders didn't, what was Bradders' input on the cameras? I don't fucking remember. Uh, <laughs> he didn't remember much when we spoke to him. No, I, <laughs> I don't remember uh, much about cameras, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, uh, but was it a bit strange at first, Bob, or a bit unusual? So you know, like especially after a game, something's gone on, or you know, when you might have it out a bit, and the cameras are there. Do you think was something uh, playing up to him a bit, or anything like that? I don't think so. I, I think I think we settled down really, really quick. You know, you. Because you're so focused on the game and what the manager's saying, you just really—it must be something like uh, that celebrity shit program of his. You don't—you realise that the cameras aren't there in the end. You know what I mean? You just—and yeah. they, they were in there, but they, they kept themselves out of the way. And whatever was going on, yeah, there was 
there was nothing faking it there, you know, in that in that TV series, nothing at all. It was is as you saw it, you know. So yeah, you just become oblivious to it, really. And they're just in the background. Sometimes there was like little cameras that you didn't even know on the side. So it was it was it what what it was like, you know. It was it was good television, really good. And we used to love watching it on a Friday night if we was away from home and everyone's eating their pre-match their post-match meal quick and get up to your bedrooms and, and watch the programme and have a, have a bit of a laugh especially like when Will Froster and his wife were eating dinner and they was about 10 miles apart at the table that was quite hilarious <laughs> She didn't seem to like football very much I recall uh, uh, and Stan's missus was ironing his shirt while he was tucked up in bed and he had his spaghetti in that so yeah he got slaughtered for that so yeah it was it was quite good the way they went into uh, to each little sections like the fans the players the crowd you know the chairman I thought it was really well put together I still I still put it I've got it on CD now I've got it transferred from VHS and I still watch it now and again just to bring it all back I watched it on YouTube during the first lockdown so when I was bored exactly. for a few days I, I just watched them kind of back to yeah. back over the space of a couple of days yeah it was great wasn't it really good yeah, yeah. obviously then Going up to the Premier, going up to what is now the Premier League, the, the top division. Yeah, and the fixture list comes out, and like you say, you played at Wem- played at Wembley for Brentford, but how does how does playing against Liverpool in the top tier compare? Well, that was that was probably always the dream, wasn't it? You know, I never thought I'd be a, a pro footballer, and then you finally get there, and then as you you end up where you, and you can see there is a chance of this happening. It's especially at a, a later age, you know, getting near the end of my career, and you see it, you've got a chance for it to happen. And, I, you know, if I'd have just started that first game and I didn't play that much part because I ended up having to leave, but if I'd have, as long as I started that first game of that season against Liverpool, that would have been enough for me. That would have been enough. Uh, and if you've seen a copy of my book, which hopefully you might plug later on, if you've seen a copy of my book, the front picture, uh, a lot of people said to me, oh, you was at Brighton and you was at Brentford, you know, why have you got a picture of you in a Sheffield United shirt? Well, the reason why is because there was a break in play and I was looking to the John Street where my dad was sitting and that was me staring at my dad, God bless him, who I lost a few years ago. So that's why that picture is of me and playing against Liverpool on the front of my book that will stick with me forever. So, you know, that was, that was, that was you know, the pinnacle really, wasn't it? You know, you're at the first division or the premiership even at 32, 33, I got there, you know, I wasn't there for long, but I got there. It's, it was the long old road, but, you know, luckily for me uh, and for certain circumstances, I, I managed to reach the promised land. So forever grateful for that. You didn't, yeah. We didn't just reach there. You hoped to stay there as well, Bob. Well, that was it. Yeah, that was, I forgot about that little goal at QPR. I don't think he was going to mention that. Yeah, I forgot about that one. Uh, that, was, that was a crazy day as well. That was, that was a crazy Especially when we, you know, we hadn't won for a while, um, we went on that magic run, didn't we, after Christmas? Uh, uh, and again, you know, great backing from the fans down at that end, and and, and that day as well, because that that was the scoreboard end, wasn't it? And my family, I managed to get tickets yeah. for my family, my dad and my sister and my three best mates. They were sitting right above the scoreboard when I scored that scored that goal. So uh, you can see on the YouTube there as I'm running round, I'm looking up and pointing up, and my dad's looking over the looking over the scoreboard and staring down at me with a, you know, crying his eyes out. So, yeah, that was a special goal that was. That that was probably the best career in my football career, the best moment in my football career at QPR, even getting to the first division and playing at Wembley. I think that goal ranks up there right at the top. It was, it was the one, you know, the goal that kept us up and after that it was just brilliant and, uh, you know, managed to celebrate with my mates afterwards locally and, 
and it, it was fantastic. So, yeah. And I think Andy Dakin, because he did say to me, you scoring that goal, you just saved the club about £2 million. I went, well, don't forget my bonus, Andy. You know, I'm still <laughs> waiting for it. So if Andy Dakin's watching, you still owe me my five grand bonus for staying up. <laughs> so on the subject of goals that season, um, obviously we beat Southampton 4-1. So you, I think Vinny was suspended and you came back into the side and yeah. scored two goals really early on. Right in front, I think I remember the second one was right in front of where I sat yeah. on the cop looking down the gangway and you were kind of just almost kind of screaming at the bottom of the, at the, bottom of the, the steps. But there's one thing from that game that's always stuck in yeah. my mind, always baffled me. Why the fuck are you letting John Gannon take that penalty? You're, you're on a hat trick. You, you, tell, you tell me. The game's done. It's not I know, like the game's I know, done I know what you're going to say. Dan, Dan, Dan. It lives <laughs> with me forever. I, I think I'd pl- I might have played centre-half that day. I'm not sure. I might play centre-half. But obviously I've got the two goals. Yep. And then I see the penalty awarded. So I start, jog- I start jogging up past the halfway line. I hear Harry, the bastard, shouting from the touchline, <laughs> you get back, you're centre-half. You ain't taking the penalty. I went, Harry, we're 4-1 up. Let, you know, he went, no, Gannon's taking it. And of course, what does Gannon do? Puts it in the fucking self. Top tier. Puts it puts in, in top tier, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Puts it in. <laughs> So I was, they still got they still get they still gave me the ball and I've I've, I've still uh, I did have the ball but I've now given it to Sheffield United to put into the museum up there so I, was, I managed to still get the match ball even though I only scored the two goals and all the lads signed it and uh, yeah so it would have been a nice it would have been a nice one to say that's my my second act in my career and uh, yeah Harry I'll never forgive him for that you bastard <laughs> Harry. you bastard <laughs> yeah. yeah obviously yeah, that, you that, that was. That, that was a misty old day, that one, Dan, wasn't it? Because the pit Well, was I think at 4-1, we were kind of worrying that... The, we were 4-1 up and, and kind of sweating on cop that the game were going to get called off because the, the kind of fog was getting thicker and thicker yeah. as it went on. Yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. Obviously, me and Chrissy Wilder, we ended up sort of more or less in the front first three, three rows of the cop, sort of celebrating. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Which you could do then, you know, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the start, of, that yeah, se- the start of the season with that run was... <laughs> Very similar to what we've got now, isn't it? And, uh, you know, United were struggling to get that win on the board. Yeah. Went, went to the Forest game. What was it like? I mean, we asked, we asked a similar question of Jamie the other week, but from your point of view, how, how, how does it feel being a player in the squad as, as that kind of, you, you know there's something there, you're probably having a bit of bad luck with results and mm. the run of the ball. And, um, you know, how, how does it keep going to get to that position? Because then when we did, like you say, when we got the win, yeah. we went for a good spell. I think... As a group of players, you know, we didn't have anybody. We we couldn't hide, could we? we was in that, you know, we we're in that, we we're at that level. You know, we we played well the season before. We got promotion. You got to you got to keep believing in what you're doing. And the the manager believed in what we were doing, and he kept doing the same things. Uh, and you hope that you turn it around. But if you if you if you if you crumble as a group, and there's a few chinks in the armour, it's only going to get worse. So you just, as a group of players, I think that's where we came in our own. We were just so strong together. You know, we no one was down. We was all upbeat. You know, who's going to pick the players up, Harry? Who's going to pick Harry up? Well, we can pick Harry up by doing the business and keeping him going. If someone's got to pick the manager up, you know, Chrissy Wilder's hurt at the moment. Who's picking him up? His wife might be helping him, but, you know, the rest of the staff and all that, you know, you've got to help the manager as well. He's not in it on his own. You've got to become a family and become a group, and that's what we were, you know. We kept doing the same things. We kept training hard. We kept partying hard. We, you know, we, we kept doing the same things. 
and you've got to believe that it's going to turn around. If it doesn't, at least you can say, right, we gave it our all, lads. It wasn't good enough, but we gave it our all. If it is good enough, we're going to pick up. And that's exactly what I am. We just kept going, believing in each other. It was, it was that sort of mentality, really. Very strong mentality. Very strong. Fing, fingers crossed this group have got that. I'm sure they will have. Well, I don't think Chrissy, knowing Chrissy as I do, I, you know, I don't think, and you probably see her more than me, I haven't seen so many of the new acquisitions, but I'm pretty sure you, most games you're getting a shift out of that group of players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Chrissy spoke about it the other day, you know, it's fine margins and big moments, you know. Jamie Vardy gets through on the 90th minute, he scores. That's, that's, that's the fact yeah. he's, and he's going to score. And if you haven't, you know, that's the big moments that, players get themselves into position like your know, McBurney's and that and he hits the bar you know it could go in but it doesn't and you need that to change but you've got to keep doing it and keep creating chances to give yourself a chance but at the high end of it when you're playing these top Premier League teams they've always because they've got the big bucks they've always got that little bit of extra quality which sometimes can make the difference you know I was working down at Brighton the other night and Brighton played really really well Got, them, got themselves in the game, one all. Danny Ings is sub, comes on, gets a penalty, you know he's going to score, game over. Yeah. Just them little bits of pressure that players are used to taking in, in big moments. And that's what you need your big players to do at any level, especially in the Premier League. Going, going into the season afterwards, obviously then, um, I think it's unique. I don't think a player's ever left United in the way you did, in the mm. it's announced to the fans ahead of a Sheffield derby. Yeah. Crazy, yeah. And you get to walk out onto the centre circle with 25,000 United fans or more in the ground to give yeah. you a send-off. How did it? How did that conversation with Harry come about? And was it was it planned? Was it quite a last-minute thing to do that? It, 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 a little bit like most things that happened to me in my football career, it happens quite spontaneously and it just, it wasn't even on the radar. Uh, Harry pulled me on the, the morning of the game or just before and I was, I was I was down to play I was down to start and he said that Brentford had rung up and they, they they want you to come back down south and I still had a year of my Sheffield United contract to go I was 33 nearly 34 Brentford were offering me another two and a half years on top of what Sheffield United had and I, I didn't even look at the contract I didn't you know I didn't really think about speaking to him and Harry sort of being Harry said listen you you've done great here, mate. You, you know, you're probably not going to be fit enough to carry on at this level for another year. You're quite welcome to stay. But I think you should go because your house is still down south. You're going back home. They're offering you a good financial deal to go back down there, which will set you up for when you, you know, when you think about retirement, it will help you out. So from a financial point, it was probably a good move, but it, I wasn't always always about the money and I didn't want to go and now he said well I think you should go and he more or less told me I was going which was a hard decision for me to make with my short amount of time at Sheffield United you know so uh, he said well I think you should go son it'd be a good deal for you and you're going to go out and say cheer to the fans I went you have a laugh Harry you can't tell the fans I'm leaving they're going to absolutely go bananas and boo and what's he coming out on the pitch for if he's leaving us <laughs> he said they will know that you don't want to leave trust me they will know if people know Bob Booker, they know that you won't want to leave this football club, but you've got to go for whatever reasons it is. So he decided to tell me to go out and obviously I got 
got the reception I did in front of the cop and the three sides, apart from the pigs, obviously. I weren't too bothered about them. Uh, and yes, t- I've got to say, tears, tears in my eyes. It was a hard day to leave so quickly on such a big occasion. Uh, and I like to think that that was a bit of the bit of the catalyst to go and win that game and got the crowd really stirred up and got them going before the game, hopefully. So I like to think I still played my part, even though I wasn't on the pitch. So, yeah, that was a sad, sad departure to leave Sheffield United, but it was one that, and I didn't, I didn't last that much longer down at Brentford. My knee started to play up again, and I, I only lasted about seven months into my two and a half year contract, and unfortunately I had to retire early. But financially, out out because I took took the contract but uh, emotional emotional wise it was very very tough and uh, not a happy day for me but hey ho sometimes you have to do things that don't always go for you and and see what's down the other side but uh, yeah so it, you don't really think you're going to leave and get that sort of adulation when someone's leaving a football club I don't think you know it happens very often so very very proud and very privileged to what happened to me that day. I remember I was on the cop that day with my dad and I remember it was both same as you because I seem to remember you came and sat in the cop didn't you you watched the game from the cop I did yeah, Once yeah. I went, and, and yeah we both kind of said as you came to the cop we both kind of said to each other it looks gutted you know it looks devastated yeah. and, and we, yeah, we kind of picked up on that from, from yeah. seeing you from, from halfway up the cop yeah yeah now I was yeah, it was it was a big day down yeah, very, yeah very emotional day you know knowing that I was you know I was I was on my way back down the motorway so but uh Great, you know, such fantastic times at the Blades, you know, in a short amount of time and doing things like this now and still reliving it all, you know, you, you don't want it to go away, do you? It's still there and, uh, yeah. you know, to, to, to have to have the box on the halfway line with my name on the door and my name in the brick in the wall outside is just, it's phenomenal really for the amount of players that have come through that football club and, and didn't have that adulation and got that recognition, I feel very, very privileged very, very privileged uh, and, and very proud. And, uh, you know, I can't thank all the supporters enough for what you've done for me over the years or the time I was there. I really, really thank you for that. Uh, I think that goes back ways. No, it's, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> mutual. And you can claim to Eric Cantona that you started that song as well. I don't know if you ever have, by the way. You're spot on. We're not having none of that. There was no way it was his song. Um, and there was a piece in the lo- in the in the local times, I think it was the Daily Times, uh, and the Sheffield United fans did start it before before Eric. So uh, yes, I'm definitely claiming it. So uh, not that not that Eric would be bothered, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't want Leeds United having a starting a song about their play and then me nicking it. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. I, you know, the Blades definitely started it. We'll we'll have that, and uh, that was a strange one. Yeah. Definitely. The thing is, I, I remember it being sung a few months later because you came back to Hillsborough, didn't you, for the return match that season? Were you not on the upper tier that night? I was in the upper tier. I was sitting next to Joe Elliott of Def Leppard, who's uh, yeah. with, you know good buddies. Me and Joe, we ended up good buddies, which was another long, another story. You know, me and him getting together. But uh, he said, "Come on, son, get up on your seat. They're singing your name." I said, "No," he said, "Come on, get up on the seat." So I got up on the seat and obviously acknowledged the fans and. You know, brilliant, yeah. Top tier right. at Sheffield Wednesday singing the Bob Booker, yes. I remember and, that. Flair's going off and Bob's, Bob's on his seat giving it that. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. But that's, that's the next best thing for me, you know, to be part of that. It's great, isn't it, you know? Yeah, to go, absolutely. To go and sit with the fans that have shouted you from the cop or wherever they're sitting and watching the game and, and shouting your name, to sit with them, I think that goes a long way. Uh, and I, I think quite a few players do do that at clubs that they've really got a good... Uh, recognition with, I think the odd player does do that. I don't think you see it too much, but uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been up to many a game with my mate. You know, I've got mates that I've converted into Sheffield United fans now that are Brighton fans, and they travel up with me. And, you know, I go and sit on the cop with them and take them on the cop, and they've never seen anything like it. You know, people drinking and smoking on the cop in the modern day. You don't see it anywhere else, do you? <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. So, uh, uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, yeah, nothing better than sitting on the cop. It's a great atmosphere, isn't it? Fantastic. Yeah. Well, don't, we're up, we're don't do that to us. Not at the moment. It's horrible. Oh, no. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, tough, isn't it? Blimey. We've literally got our own little... We don't even have to say. We know where we all meet at half-time. You know, we always go through the same turn style. Yeah. We loiter in the same way. You know, <clears throat> me and Phil always down a beer that we bought at five to three that we didn't need to buy. As then we run upstairs <laughs> thinking, probably should have gone for a piss, actually, but sod it. Yeah. Um... <laughs> You know, it's always, it's always like, who's going to get them in at half-time? I just want it back. We'll get there. We'll get there, you know, hopefully. Uh, and sooner than later, and hopefully before the end of the season, the fans, you know, we can get in there and get behind the team and that will make a massive difference. I'm sure it will, you know. Uh, home or away, you know, just to... Uh, I think I think the players sort of got, got settled into it with no fans and now I think that's worn off now and I think... I really at first I didn't think it would play that much part, but looking at it now from a player's point of view, you do need you do need that you know you need that buzz of the fans you know whether you're getting sick or whether you're getting praised or anything you you need that noise it, it gives you another couple of percent within your performance you really need that as a player yeah yeah definitely and the fans need it as well the fans you know that's the that's the way you need to go and let off steam in it you know. Yeah, we're, we're letting off steam on it. This, this is this is the most upbeat this has been in months. It's been uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been tough listening for the last few months. This so this is a yeah. this is a welcome change. To be fair, yeah, good, good. Well, at least we can do this sort of thing, and it's it's you know it's it's a little bit of an insight of what what's gone on, and you know we can all do it with social media now. So it's it can only be a good thing, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, enjoy it. Even better because that's the thing with it, being able to do this. I can have a terrible week. I can think like, "Oh, work's tough or whatever." Come on here, mm. talk to my mates, and then when we get guests on such as yourself, Bob, it makes it all like it's worthwhile. <laughs> and the fact that well, other people enjoy it. Yeah, good. But well, that's it. What's about? So, do you want to talk a little bit about your coaching career? Uh, and after you, after you your boots up, if you because you were you with Mickey Adams a lot. Well, I, I hung I hung my boots up, and then obviously I was out the game for about a year, which was a culture shock. Once I decided that I couldn't play anymore, and the surgeon said you need to pack up, that was that was quite a uh, a massive part of your life. Uh, and I down down spiraled very very quickly at home. Got very down. Obviously, didn't have a job. You know what you're going to do. Yes, you might get paid. Your contract gets paid up. But it's not going to last forever. Uh, um, you've got to you've got to think about doing something at some stage. So, you know, a friend of mine, he he, he came around straight away with his own cleaning business, and he took me out on the road. And I was going up to London, and I was on my hands and knees scrubbing super drug floors. Uh, you know, for fifty six fifty sixty quid a day just to keep get out of the house and get away from the wife, basically, and. Uh, First wife. first wife, yeah. Sorry, my wife just makes sure I said first wife. Yeah. I liked it so much, I had a second go, yeah. Uh, yeah, so got me back out there and, and until I uh, and I started, uh, I got a phone call back from Brentford to come back and be a youth team coach. So I started doing, I did a couple of courses and, and got some badges. 
Uh, and then I was youth team coach for six years until Mickey Adams turned up for one season. Uh, and I was doing a youth team, but he, we sort of, we sort of hit it off a little bit. I didn't really know Mickey. He played in the game against Southampton, actually. If my memory serves me right. Uh, and he started to involve me in the reserves in the first team quite a bit. You know, I had good, I had good knowledge of what happened around the football club about travelling and packing the kit and all that. I, I sort of did it all with the youth team because that's what we did in them days. And Mickey, I think Mickey sort of saw this and he, he pulled me in and said, I really like the way you work and everything. Uh, and we went down that season, but we had a right good go at it. And he, he, he got sacked and then he ended up at Brighton. And before he left, he said, he pointed to me, he said, I like the way you work. When I get another job, I'm going to come and get you. And then it was 18 months later when he got the Brighton job and he rang me up and said, would you like to come down to Brighton? And I, I thought it was for the youth team job. He said, no, I want you to be my assistant assistant manager so that was the next step up for me really from youth team and reserves it was you know either first team coach or assistant manager so I went down there in 2000 with Mickey Adams and strange things happened again we got back-to-back promotions as a, an assistant manager so that was another uh, another couple of medals in the in the trophy cabinet uh, so it was it was great great times you know and Mickey again Mickey being a Sheffield lad it was very similar to the Harry days you know we, we trained hard and played hard he was, you know, he was, a, he was a great lad and we, we struck up a real good relationship and, you know, ended up really good friends even to this day. So uh, I nearly went with Leicester with, with him when he went to Leicester, but I decided to stay at, at Brighton, which was a big decision for me because Mickey had brought me into the coaching game. Uh, but I, I'd sort of got myself settled in Brighton. Uh, Dick wanted me to stay, the chairman. So I, it was very hard to say no to Mickey Adams, who, who wanted me to go to Leicester with him. And in the end, he went back with, with Alan Cork again, who I took the place at Brighton of. Uh, and, and, and then I stayed and worked under six or seven managers, Peter Taylor, Mark McGee, Russell Slade, who's a blade. Uh, who else we have? Stevie Coppel. So I worked under some really good managers and really learnt my trade. And, you know, they all worked in different ways. And, you know, if, if I wasn't doing my job, then they would have brought another assistant manager in. But as the manager got the sack, the chairman said, no, you know, he told the manager was coming in, Bob Book is going to be the assistant work with him for six months. If you don't like him, then you can make a change. But it never happened. So I went on and worked with all the managers right up until I, I finished there when, when Gus Poirier came in and they moved into the Amex. So it was my dream to get to the Amex, but we didn't quite make it. I ended up at the With Dean. But we had two promotions out of the With Dean, or three altogether, two with Mickey Adams, or one with Peter Taylor, one with Mickey Adams, and one with Mark McGee when we went to the Millennium Final and one there. So, yeah. Can I just ask a question about Brighton, Bob, real quick? And it's nothing to do with United. What was Liam Knight like to manage? He was a fucking nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) He he was a little git. Uh, I mean, the lad had so much ability. That was the the sad thing, really. And come from Chelsea, uh, he had so much ability. What a finisher. One of the best finishers. He he, he reminds me of a Jermaine Defoe, you know. You give him the ball around the box and, you know, two touches in the back of the net. But he was just he was just hard work off on you know off the pitch and you know he's I always ended up round with him because I'd be doing a coaching session and he would try and fuck it up because he didn't want to take part in it because it didn't involve him so I'd send him in and he would he'd go in and then I'd take him up to see the manager and they would talk it out and then I'd put my arm around him after that and say come on little man what's the problem he said well I I want to do shooting in I want to do this I want to do that I said I'll tell you what you do then. You play ball in my coaching sessions and join in and play your part, even though it doesn't involve you. I'll come in every morning. I'll get a youth team goalkeeper. We'll get a bag of balls and we'll do an hour before training and do one-on-one just with you. And he looked at me and he went, you'll do that with me? 
said, yeah, if you play ball with me when it's proper training. So, man management. And then mm. we'd come in and we'd do one-on-one -on -one and he would, you know, he would do a finishing session and he, he was great to work with, but he was just a little git. The ones that have always got the ability are a pain in the arse. <laughs> they can just turn it on when they want, you know what I mean? Well, it's not like that. You've got to play, you've got to become a team player. It's not, you know, one player and the rest of you. It's, you've got to be a team and play your part, whether it's shutting down or running the channels, you know. Leon struggled with that bit, but he was a quality finisher. He was a great little character, but he was just, you know, and he won't mind me saying it if he ever sees this because he know that and he was a little he was a little shit but it was a nice little shit it was a nice little <laughs> shit He's, he provides quite a lot of opinion there now so I remember him he obviously he went to Wednesday on loan from Chelsea I think it was his last move before he left Chelsea and like Wednesday fans thought he'd sign like the next Ronaldo for a change because whenever they get anyone on loan from top flight he's the second coming yeah had a decent side for however long but like He's, he's done that and then he obviously scored a lot of goals but he's just like he's steeped in controversy mm. and I see he did the um, Under the Cosh podcast ranted on about everyone for about four hours and yeah. then fell out with the lads who he'd done the podcast with because he didn't have the tone of the question yeah. and he like cried out loud Bless him. He, he always he, bless him. He thinks the world's against him, and they're not. You know, they we only wanted the best for him. I mean, the masterclass that Mark McGee played because when we got to the Millennium Final and leading up to it, and he was scoring regularly, he was he was absolutely on fire. Him and Chris Iwalumu up front. What a pairing that was! And the gaffer pulled him the night before. We went up on a Thursday to Wells, and he pulled him and said, "I'm thinking of making you sub." Well, he fucking went into one, didn't he? But it was the master class because it, it gave him the it gave him the no, you're not dropping me. I'm going to be playing that game. So it was a master class by Mark McGee, threatening to drop him, but ended up playing him, and he he scored the penalty that got us got us promotion. So again, man management, you know, priceless, brilliant. So, but yeah, he was a good lad. We just we just had a few runnings now and again, but hey, that happens in football, doesn't it? You know, get on with it. It's you know, it's not personal. It's just doing your job, you know. You, you could probably go to work and have a row with someone. Doesn't mean you don't really particularly, you know, you don't have to get on with them and like them all the time. But you've got to work with them on a on a day to day basis. So get it out in the open and sort it out. And that's what you have to do on a football pitch and in a dressing room. Get on with it. He trained his job. What these? No, mate, I've had them for years. Just got them back from being clean. Look really good, don't they? Yeah, really? Is that a thing? Honestly, they look new, mate. They look class. Yeah, it's a thing. Really reasonable, too. Adam Dunn at this place called Glistening Kicks. They're in Sheffield. Fellas are blade, too. Oh, nice one. That saves buying new ones, doesn't it? How do I find them? I've got a few pairs I need looking at myself. Absolutely. Save, save me as someone who's got a bit of a trader for headship. An absolute fortune. You can get them on social media like most things these days. They're on Twitter at Glistening Kicks and Instagram at Glistening underscore Kicks. Or they have a website, www.glisteningkicks.co.uk. Give them a shout. The process is dead easy. They collect them safely and then drop them back off with you. And if you take them round yourself, that process could be even quicker. Um, they look, feel and smell like new. And it's I'm, I'm absolutely chuffed and I'm already looking at what pairs I'm going to take down um, next to have him look out for us. Nice one. Cheers for that. I'm going to get on to them straight away. What was their Insta again? At glistening underscore kicks. That's the one. Really good service and I couldn't recommend it enough to any blades. Brilliant. Nice one. All the blades. 
Welcome back. Uh, you'll be pleased to know I've been to the little boys' room uh, and got a fresh beer. And uh, delighted still to be chatting away with Bob. It's been absolutely fantastic this tonight. And what we always like to do, as Phil touched on, uh, is go through 1-11 to 11 of players that you've played with. Might even let you have a few subs. Um, I've got plenty of subs. <laughs> so, 1-11, to 11, the Bob Booker, 1-11. to 11. What formation are we playing, Bob? I'm going to go for a 4-4-2, bulk standard, Harry Bassett. Like it. And who's in goal? It's a difficult one, really, because this, we had so many good characters in that team. You know, I, I could probably pick three teams that I know would do the job. So, you know, I kept crossing names out and thinking, well, he could, you know, he, he's just as good as him. So, you know, it's without being controversial, you had to name it down to some some final names so the ones that I've left out you know if they if they hear this it doesn't mean that I don't think you're great lads by the way you were <laughs> but you just didn't make it this is this is for the game next week but yeah so I've got a group of subs we go I went for Simon Tracy to be honest uh, I mean uh, Graham Ben said I thought was a great goalkeeper for us when he, when he came in and I, I joined up with him at Brentford as well but Trace you know Trace was Trace wasn't he he was, he was, he was a sloppy fucker in goal but but uh, <laughs> Always a sloppy trainer, but he, but he was a great goalkeeper. He was brave as anything, you know, and he did good distribution and uh, good, you know, good experienced player. So Simon Tracy for me all day long. He's my, he's my, back, he's my favourite United goalkeeper. Oh, yeah. It's birthday. Yes, oh, was it? Oh, yeah. happy birthday, Tracy! If you're watching. Uh, across the back, I went for uh, the gaffer, Chrissy Wilder. Uh, Mark Morris, Paul Stancliffe, and Martin Pike. That was my back four. Uh, Pikey had the left foot, didn't he? Sorry, Pikey. Yeah, I think him and Chris were both good passers of the ball. You know, they, they both had a nasty streak in them when they wanted to. Uh, you know, uh, Chris was a good technician. Uh, Pikey could get up and down the left hand side. So I think, you know, they complemented each other. You know, both two, you know, good left footer, good right footer, good passers of the ball, good technicians, and they could defend as well. You know, so uh, they was nice, nice and solid for me. You know, I could have gone for David Barnes, but he's a bit of a fruit bat. You never know what you're going to get with Barnesy, but great lad. We've had that from two. I think, I think brothers and Jamie have both said that Barnsy was. Uh... Was a bit tapped. It was a, I mean, that's coming from Badders, isn't it? Let's have it right. He thought he were a bit oh. unsure about him, which is quite yeah. a statement from the man. Did you witness yeah. the Lord of yeah. the Dance, Bob? Sorry, did I, I did you witness? Yeah, I was there. Absolutely, yeah. Well, Joe Elliott was from Def Leppard was there that night, and he's been in rock and roll for 25, 30 years. And he turned to me and he said, "I've never seen anything quite like that in all my life." <laughs> <laughs> and he's been in rock and roll. He's been amongst any Joe. So uh, yeah, he never seen anything like it. Barnsley going across the tables with a bog roll stuck up his ass on fire. Absolutely brilliant, <laughs> priceless. Should have put him in the team just for that, really. But uh, yeah, so yeah, so that was my back four. And you said, just on your centre backs, Bob. Um, I mean, Stan. Stan, Stan, I always feel is someone as an underrated servant for United. I mean, he was captain yeah. for a while. He played uh, just a very, very good. Defender, good solid in, pro, you know, played in the lower division, yeah, bit like myself, played in the lower leagues, come through the hard way, Mr. Reliable, great leader, you know, wasn't quick but could read the game, wasn't the wasn't the tallest, but my good, did he have a great leap and his timing of his head is absolutely brilliant, and again, run for a brick wall for you, 
Same with Mark Morris, you know, not, not gifted with loads of ability. A bit like, a bit like myself, really. We were just good, solid pros, you know. They could defend, they could head, they put their head in where it hurts. They could come up and score a goal from a corner. And they were just good leaders as well. So, uh, I mean, Colin Hill came in there and played centre-half and he was Mr. Cool, wasn't he? Completely different player. Uh, unfortunately, when I got there early, do- early doors, we lost uh, Brian, the centre-half. Blondell, I can't remember second name now. Brian. He was a good yeah. lad because he was he was quick as well, and he was brave and he was he was a good servant to the club. Unfortunately, he had a really bad injury uh, just as I got there. But uh, when I was in the team and first arrived, he was a quiet lad. But tell you what, he was a he was a hard bastard, Brian Smith. Good lad, really. I think good he lad. had he had a good he had a good career in front of him without that without that broken leg. Definitely, definitely, because he had everything. You know, he was aggressive. He could defend. He was very quick for a centre half. You know, he was a flying machine, so it's everything you want in a centre half, really. Yeah. He stayed on his feet, you know, he was he was a bit like a Martin Keown, really. He was a right nasty git as well, you know, he didn't fuck around with him. And he didn't say much, but you knew that he was there. He was a good lad. Yeah. So I struggled across the middle really because uh, I went I went uh, I, I, I went with Johnny Gannon in the centre midfield, my old uh, my old partner. Uh, I mixed I mixed with Toddy quite a bit, so it was between Toddy and, and uh, Toddy and Gannon and, and Vinnie Jones. So I sort of, I sort of went for for Toddy and Gannon really. Uh, you know, Vinnie nearly got in there, but uh, he wasn't with us as long as them two that I played with. Uh, and I thought they were really two good technicians for for the centre mid, and they had the legs to get up and down. John Gannon was great on set pieces. Uh, Toddy could get around the park and when I used to play with either of them you know I did sort of what I like to call the dirty work and, and win it, win the ball and get the ball back and then all I had to do was give it to one of them two and they had the technique to do something proper with it rather than me just losing it <laughs> so uh, you know I went I went for, for Toddy and Gannon in, in the midfield there uh, I think it's it, it, on, it's, a, it's a strange situation that like you said we talked to a lot about how Harry had he had kind of fixed roles for his mid centre midfielder so hooking it on second balls but he got mm. footballers to do it. He didn't just put athletes in there. So we're talking about yourself Absolutely, as, a, yeah. as a footballer. John Gannon, if he'd have played in in this side now, would look would look really good because he had a real good left foot. Jamie Ireland yeah. again, very good, very yeah. good footballer. Yeah. But he's asking him to do don't mm. take this wrong way, quite a limited role. Do you know what I mean? It's that's it, and that's why you know you you probably remember me. Jamie Hoyland struggled a little bit. I struggled yeah. a little bit. John Gannon, John Gannon struggled a little bit until we got up to what Harry was trying to produce. We found it difficult because it was mm. alien to what we've been taught or the clubs we'd played at. Yeah. So it was a completely different style of football. So uh, so I went with them two in the middle. Uh, I went I went for Jock and Bradders on the wing, but I, I really would have liked to put Dane Whitehouse in on the left and probably Bryson on the right. But I think Bradders, Bradders just gave me that little bit, a little bit more. On the on the defending side than than Dame Whitehouse or the aggression side, you know they were both really good. I mean we were blessed with wide players: Mitch Ward, you know Dame Whitehouse, Jock Bradders, Paul Wood, Paul Alan Wood, Roberts. Yeah. yeah, you know all good players that could get a decent amount of crosses in, which what which, which is what Harry wanted. So yes, yeah, so I went for Jock and Bradders. I mean Jock, I think he was again he was one of the most underrated players at, at that time in our football club. For a wing, he had everything. You know, he could cross with both feet. He could get up and down. He had a great engine. He could score goals. He could take penalties. He was aggressive. You know, and he's a real, he's a real good lad. So, really good in air as well. Really good in air. He was, yeah, he was good in air. Yeah, 
and Bradders was Bradders. You know, you never know what he's going to get with Bradders. You know, if it if it was a rough day, he would keep going. But uh, he he was. He was he was hundred percent through and through, winning and run for a brick wall for you. And a great ability could score goals, could cross, you know, could get up and down. Good technician. So we were we were blessed in the wide positions, is like I say, which is what you'd want if you want to get the service into my final two. And obviously, Dean and Agana, uh, you know, forty grand Brian Dean, forty grand Tony Agana, best money ever spent in the last 25, 30 years of football, in my opinion. Uh, you know. In the modern day game now, you know, what would Brian Dean be worth and what would Tony Garner be worth? Uh, and as we posted this the other day, you know, didn't we? What, what would Brian Dean be worth nowadays? It's terrifying, isn't it? He's, well, he's 50 million plus, isn't he? He's, you know, he's six, six foot four, quick. Doesn't look that quick, but covers the ground. Two, two great feet for a big fella. Fantastic in the air. You wouldn't call him a Billy Whitehurst aggression-wise, but he still he still put himself about without sort of going that noticed about it. He wasn't aggressive, but he didn't need to be because if you you know if you got the ball wide to the players that we were talking about, if you got crosses in, well, proofs in the pudding. You know, uh, I don't know how many goals they got each season that year 32, 31, something like that. Unbelievable. So just a great partnership. You know, Tony could run the channels, Dino could run the channels. You know, they could both get in the box. They could swap positions. One could come a little bit short, the other one getting behind. They just hit it off, you know. It was just... And for Harry to get Brian Dean at 40 grand, it's it was a snip, wasn't it? You know, and uh, went on to play for England. You know, Benfica. Uh, unbelievable career. Leeds United, unfortunately. But uh, there you go, yeah. So that that was my front two. But I've got a great, I've got a great bench as well, really. I mean, Billy Whitehurst. I've got Wilf Rostron on there. I've got Barnsley. Uh, I've got Vinnie Jones, I've got Peter Duffield. What a great sub to have, you know. I love Duff. He was he was a little pest, wasn't he? You know, and if it weren't for Dino Garner, he, he would have been a regular starter because he, he was another great finisher, Peter Duffield. Uh, and I remember, unfortunately, when he broke his leg at, at uh, Barnsley that night when we when we got the win and he broke his leg being brave and going on one-on-one with a goalkeeper and got stretched off with a broken leg and that sort of put him out of the game for, for a fair amount of time. But, uh, you know, players like that, he's still come back to the football club now. You know, when I grow up there, I see Dane and, and Mitch and Duff. They still do uh, 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 hospitality work for the football club on the club tour and that. And that. So they've still got that affinity with the club, which is great to see when you grow up there. They're still still doing the club now because they love the football club, even though we've left it. You know, you're never, you're never going to stop supporting a team like that if you've been involved in it. So... Who's on your bench? So that would be- um, Bob, you've got Billy, Peter Duffield, Vinnie Jones, Javin, Mitch and Dane on there? Yeah, I've got Dane on there. I've got Wolf Washington as well. Uh, so who is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, it's about seven up there. Yeah, so... Starting to sound like Jurgen Klopp here with all these subs, Bob. Sorry? Starting to sound like Jurgen Klopp with all these subs. <laughs> I'm glad I ain't got his teeth. Uh, <laughs> No, like I say, a lot of them players could have come straight in to positions that I've given to players as well. You know, like I say, only 11 can play. But that was the beauty of that group of players. You know, if any of that, any of that lot there got injured, you knew that any one of them could come in and do exactly the same job. You know, he wasn't getting any less. So Harry had a real good problem, a nice problem for a manager that he, he could, whoever he picked you know, going away to Leicester. You know, John Gannon had a broken arm, so he brings Will Washington next to me on, in centre midfield. Done a great job. Experienced pro, just sat in there, and he's normally a left back. So, you know, them players, all them players in that squad that I played with or I knew while I was there, 
were priceless, even if they was on the bench. You know, they was great players to come on and, uh, like I say, bringing Billy on for one of the front two. Can't go wrong, can you? Bringing Paul Wood on for Bradders or White House. Bringing Duff on for Dean and the Garner. Bringing Wardy on or starting Wardy, you know. So, we had, you know, we, we more or less had two teams, didn't we, that were that could get the job done. So, yeah, great, great group of players right through that squad. Great, great group. Really good. What was uh, what was Big Bad Billy like? <laughs> had well, you played well, against him before, obviously? I had, yeah, for yeah. whole city. Absolutely. I'm glad I didn't play centre-half that day. Jesus Christ. He was an animal, weren't he? But he was, he was a gentle giant. He was a great lad. He was a great lad. I don't know if you remember the goal. I think it might have been against Wolves. He started the game. The header. header yeah. How yeah. was it down? I yeah. think if you want, if you want to show a youngster how to to get up and head the ball, that was the clip of film that you show him because yeah. he was absolutely awesome, absolutely awesome in the air. Uh, and like you say, he was built like a brick shithouse. You couldn't get the ball off him. He was, he was Harry's, he was, a, he was Harry's dream as a substitute because if it's nil nil with ten minutes to go, you're going to bring, he's going to come on and cause complete carnage, isn't he? You know, mm. uh, which he did at Blackburn. So. Yeah, I, I love Billy the Bits, you know. Even when he was down at the Cricketers, I always used to love going in and having a drink. And it's the only pub I've been into in June when they still got the Christmas decorations up. <laughs> 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 so, yeah, so good good lad, real good lad, Billy. I, I roomed with him a few times when we went when we went abroad and uh, that was an experience in itself, like, you know. So he did like a drink, Billy. So uh, at least you knew he was going to get looked after if anything kicked off, so... He was my he was my wingman, Billy. Loved him, loved him a bit. Brilliant. That's uh, that's a proper one to eleven of my youth. That there's, yeah, there's that's players yeah, mentioned there. That my my early heroes. Well, it, you know, it might have been a bit predictable, but you know, if if I went through, you know, you know, I could have had a midfield from other players from other clubs. You know, I'd have said Tony Curry. You know, I didn't play with him. You know, Stan Bowles, Chris Kamal, Terry Erlock. You know, it would have been I'd have had hell of a squad to pick a team. So I just thought I'd stick with. You know, my time at Sheffield United and the players that I became really good friends with, all of them, and still are, you know, still keep in contact with with, with a few of them uh, over on the, on the social media side. And, you know, so it'll be players that you'll never forget and you, you always keep an eye out and, well, what are you doing now? And we've all had to go out there and get, get other jobs, haven't we? You know, some of us stayed in football for a while. Some, you know, when you look at likes of Dane Whitehouse, I think, I think he's, he drives a white van. Brad is a bricklayer. Mitch Ward is a plasterer. You know, the quality of them players, you know, to have to be doing what they're doing now, you know, if we'd have been in the modern day now, they wouldn't have to work for the rest of their life with the money they would have been worth. But uh, that was it. We was in, you know, you, you finish and you have to go and get another job. I tell a story about it. the reason I know Carl's through his through bricklaying. I sell building materials. And he, he once asked me to come and have a look at a job for him up at Bradway. Said when 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 you get here, Phil, just don't act like a fanboy. Well, we on about don't act like a fanboy. So it gets to this job. Bradders is up on the scaffold in laying bricks. He's got Simon Tracy Hod carrying for him. It's his house. In in the house, you've got Brian Gale. I think he was up a ladder somewhere. You got Paul Beasley painting. You got Mitch Ward plastering. He's got like the United team from the early nineties. Just brilliant. Best yeah, six side team of builders you've ever seen in your life. It was fantastic. It's like a Blades version of our we design pet. Just think it's the exact same thing. Yeah, that is a great story. But yeah, that's like you say. You know, that's still going on now with that group of lads. It's fantastic. You, you, you won't get that. You won't get. Well, I think what we've done at that era that it will never be repeated. You know, Chrissy Wilder's got very very close, isn't he? With back to back promotions, and hopefully he'll go on and it'll, it'll top what we've done. Hopefully at the highest level. That's what we're hoping. 
but uh, you know that that era and that group of players. And Chris was in it, so he knows what it was like. It will take some beating, you know. I'm sure of that. And I've I've been in a lot of dressing rooms, and I've I've been at a lot of football games, and as an assistant, as a player, as a coach. And I know that you know that will take some beating. It really will. That 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 first couple of seasons at Sheffield United was amazing, amazing time. Brilliant. I have to say, from I mean, we said the same when we had Jamie when we had Jamie on a couple of weeks ago. That that era for me is obviously that's that's my greatest era as a United. Mm. Um, even tops the one now just because of how old I was and so yeah. but doing well, this it's, it's difficult because we was in we was in that era that we was in that era like you say and a lot of people it's strange sometimes is when I come up to Sheffield sometimes I go and do a signing session or I go and do a Q&A or something in a workman's club or something and you know I, I get invited up now and again to do these things and when I I'm signing sort of pictures and I take a group of pictures to sign to the fans and I'm signing them and I'm looking up and asking their names sometimes I've looked up and it'll be a lad of about 16 or 17 and I say to him, well, hang on a minute, you weren't even born when I played. <laughs> and they say, no, but my dad had your picture on the wall and he used to sing your name, Ooh, Bob Bukar. And that just hits me and I think, that's amazing. You know, the lad's never even seen me play, but he wants my autograph and he knows about me even though he wasn't born. And that's what gets, that's what does my Eddie. And I think that's amazing for me, you know, for me, for that to happen to me. So, you know, even the youngest. <laughs> Before you, we still know what that era was about, don't they? We, we had a goldfish called Uar in our house. <laughs> <laughs> did, it run around, did it go around in circles? <laughs> Brilliant. Bob, there's an open invitation, by the way. We say this, we've said this to the guests we've had on before. When we eventually get back in the pub, there's four blades in a pub, we're going to try and have a night and get a few people, a few ex-players together and have a, oh, a bit of a, a bit of a conversation and try and record, have a bit of fun about it. So what we record at the Cross Sides, you know, the Cross Sides at Norton Lees, just up from Woodseats. Mm-hmm. You would know it. Yeah. But yeah we'll, no, I'd really, I'd really, I'd really enjoy that. That'd be good. You know, meet, get together with a few lads and whatever. I'll, I'll book, I'll book an hotel that night and start and have a few beers. That'd be good. I look forward to that. Brilliant. Not, really not the beers yeah. John's been drinking awesome. though. No, none of my shit's in now. It'll be a <laughs> proper lager on, but are you a lager man, Bob? You strike no, me no, Well, if I'm up there, I'll be drinking John Smith's. <laughs> <laughs> magnet, that's what you should be drinking, Bob, a gallon of Magnet. Gall- gallon of Magnet, yeah, you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> nah, great, mate. Yeah, I look forward to that, boys. Fantastic. It's been it's been brilliant, Bob, and we did this game the other week, and it's, it's a tough one, says your mate, but are we going to stay up? That in some sort of miraculous great escape. You got to keep the faith. You've, if you're a blade, you got to keep the faith. You know we've had all we've had all the uh, the good times and the adulations, and it's been a, a steamroller ride, isn't it? You know back to back promotions. You know in the Premier League. You know the stadiums got better and bigger and 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 everything. The training ground. So you know we just got to keep the faith, and what will be will be. But yeah, I I think. I think there's still enough in the in the squad, and I think there's enough in the manager to get there. It's going to be tight because you've got to start picking up points, and you know you can't keep sort of dropping dropping points even when you're playing well. That's when it gets difficult. So you just need a game to change, like it did for us, or two games where you you know you win a scruffy one, you play shit, and it goes off someone's arse, and you win one nil. It will just sparks it off amongst the squad. And amongst the atmosphere around the training ground, it would just it would just kick off. So we're waiting for that moment, and please God, it comes as soon as possible. And uh, just all you fans out there, I know you will keep getting behind the manager because you know <laughs> he's done he's done a fantastic job, and he, we need to 
he needs to see it for him. We need to help him to get through this as much as he needs us behind him as well. I'll drink I mean, to that. Drink to I that. think that's, that's probably a perfect way to finish, I think. And I think well done, boys. That's come say about yourself, Bob. Thank you so much for your time. Um, Cheers, guys. It's been an absolute Bob pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Up the blades. Up the blades. Up the blades. <laughs> If you go to a pub in Ireland, you have to have a song. And if you don't have a song, you may as well not put the pub on. I've changed the Murray, by the way. So if anybody wants to find me a Murray, well, I'll take Peroni as well. <laughs>